Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and uh, Jamal Hill just sent Johnny Walker into the fifth dimension in the main event at UFC Vegas 48. I got my man Liam Picks Fights here with me to recap all the action. I told y'all I was bringing him back after the battle, and here we are today. And uh, man, we've been watching fights since 4 p.m. Eastern time. It's currently midnight 34 as we like to say so uh i mean what was your initial reaction to the main event outcome i mean uh what a knockout right early candidate of knockout of the year uh it's certainly an early <laughs> candidate for knockout of the year it's one of the knockouts uh of the light heavyweight division you know it's really just a gorgeous knockout in retrospect and uh a little bit predictable uh on the front end if i'm honest with you i kind of foresaw this outcome but you know, Johnny Walker just has a way of getting knocked out in, in artistic fashion. And uh, it, it was unfortunately one of those again tonight. And it, it's just, uh, I think that Johnny Walker's an entertainer, man. And that's what I came away with is he fought, you know, probably better than he's ever fought. Maybe the performance of his lifetime up until the point he got knocked out. I thought he was looking pretty decent uh, and overperforming my expectations. He was mo moving around the octagon nicely and trying to perform with kicks, but it was one single punch that changes the whole night for him. And that's not the first time that's happened. If he continues to cage fight for a living, it won't be the last time that happens because you can do a lot of push-ups and pull-ups and, uh, and run and do a lot of things, but you can't train a chin and, and his chin is shot, man. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And uh, Jamal Hill sent him flying today in, in uh, cartoonish fashion. What a, what a knockout. I mean, all I got to say is thank God that the octagon cage, the fence was right there because like the way that Johnny, I mean, the way his body stiffened, like had his hit, had his head hit the canvas, like it might have, we might not be talking just about how spectacular the knockout was. We might actually be talking about how scary it was and, you know, it, it, it would have been so much worse if that if that fence wasn't there so like really like thank god man because like could you imagine if his head hit bounced off the canvas on a ko like that liam like i just don't want even want to imagine that dude that was scary as is like jamal hill is a scary individual right i talk about uh one of the things i look at is like the personality of a fighter and you know when you look at johnny walker he's a he's a silly guy you know he's a goofy guy he's there to have fun he's there to entertain think about before the fight he's dancing he's laughing he's having a good time jamal hill is not there to have a good time he's there to hurt people he's there to knock people's head off he when he turns it on in the cage he is a very serious violent competitor and he's mean and he was mean tonight uh that was a mean knockout that was brutal uh he followed up on the ground that was just devastating damage and uh yeah, man, you would not have wanted to be Johnny Walker tonight um, with Jamal Hill standing across from you. I had a feeling about that going in, and, uh, man, he delivered absolutely. Uh, and if you backed him, you know, I talked about in my article for Scores and Odds this week, backing Jamal Hill as a favorite has been a profitable endeavor. Backing Jamal Hill on the money line has been a profitable endeavor in ways that backing Johnny Walker simply hasn't been. So uh, he continues to deliver in pretty – shocking and astounding ways for his backers oh Congrats yeah i mean uh, yeah oh thank you yeah i mean you guys already know how i feel about jamal hill and you know how i said thank god that the fence was there so that his head didn't bounce off the canvas 
another thank God is thank God that the ref didn't let him take that second follow-up. Now, look, I know he took one follow-up and it was brutal, but and also credit to Jamal for restraining himself. It's a two-way street, you know, between the ref and Jamal. Like, had Jamal landed the second um, follow-up, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been, like, you know, illegal to where they turn it to a no contest. It wouldn't have been any bullshit like that. It would have just been unnecessary. It would have been adding insult to injury. It would have been the kind of shot where, like, maybe Walker would actually be out cold for the next five minutes. Then it's, like, an even scarier knockout. So I'm really glad the ref stepped in when he did. He only got one follow shot shot in and jamal being the classy competitor he is held off on that second follow-up shot so that that's the talk on the ko itself but now i want to talk about how jamal approached this fight because you know like we were talking about on your show like i talked about on my show on um on uh clint's show and everything else i did this week i went on narco cop show this was the first time that uh, that Jamal Hill was fighting a guy that was taller than him inside the octagon. Like Jamal Hill is used to being the longer guy out there, and he's got such great long-range weapons, man. And he knows how to use that length. It's one thing to be tall. You know, you know, you know how they like to talk about the tall man's defense. There's a reason people don't talk like that about Jamal Hill because he knows how to use his length. And here against Johnny Walker, it presented an interesting challenge because now uh, Jamal can't sit on the outside, pop his jab, let the guy come to him, let the guy run into run into something. Now it's Jamal that actually has to go pursue the knockout. And he was walking down uh, Johnny Walker from the second the bell rang to the to the you know second he knocked him uh, into uh, you know the fifth dimension. So. Uh, Man, what an unbelievable execution of a game plan by by Jamal Hill. You could truly tell he put in the work like he wasn't out here, um, you know, fainting for the sake of fainting. He knew exactly what he had to do to beat Johnny Walker, and he did it in two minutes and 55 seconds. Liam, I thought it was a really, really smart performance. Uh, you talked about the fact that, you know, he picked his shots in this fight. He could have tried to rush in and, and risk getting knocked out against somebody who's very wild and aggressive in Johnny Walker. You know, we did see in this fight, Johnny Walker was out there throwing leg kicks. He was trying to throw a couple wild shots in the pocket there. And he actually surprised me with his willingness to throw hands. You know, he's more of a kick heavy fighter. And in this fight, he threw a lot of kicks, but he also threw some punches and, and put himself into range a few times. And what I think Jamal Hill was doing and what a lot of smart fighters do is they try and measure, you know, take a little stock. How far away is this guy? Where is he throwing from? Where is he starting this jab from? He started working the body a little bit uh, to get Johnny's respect. You know, Johnny likes to keep his hands a little bit lower, the elbows tucked to protect his body from kicks coming back. And, you know, he paid for it dearly uh, because Jamal was throwing a little bit of that body work and he went up top. He actually switched stances as well. Um, you know, he can operate from both stances, which is something I like to see from a fighter. Uh, something that we saw from David Onama as well. Credit you. But uh, that that overhand right uh, was, I believe, the shot that delivered it for uh, Jamal Hill. And he's normally operating out of the southpaw stance. So uh, just absolutely clinical performance. And, you know, to only throw like one big committed overhand and, and have it find the target in that fashion, it's, you know, uh, Dan Ige talked about a clean kill once when he knocked out Gavin Tucker and blew up a plus 150 bet of mine. And uh, I, it stuck with me. I was like, man, that's a good goal to have in this MMA game where damage is, uh, you know, 
not not something you can uh, give back. Uh, you know that you that sticks with you forever. So Jamal Hill came out of this fight relatively unscathed as well. Uh, beautiful performance on every level. Yeah, and when he threw that right hand, I mean, the thing that's so nice about his technique is he's not just throwing the right hand. He's getting that head off the center line. And back to what we were talking about with Johnny Walker being the longer man, you know, uh, Jamal Hill is not used to fighting guys with longer reach. And if you actually watch the finishing sequence, Johnny Walker lands a punch too. And he actually lands it on the ear of Jamal Hill. And usually, you know, oftentimes a guy like Johnny Walker lands a shot like that in the right spot, you're going to sleep. And the fact that, uh, Jamal Hill's shot, uh, punch had the impact it had when he landed. I mean, because, like, dude, like, what don't you like about Jamal Hill? I mean, we talk about the output as if that's, like, the best feature here because, you know, he's he's a 205-er. You see the output of a little guy, but then he's got this one-hitter-quitter power. Like, these dudes can't, you know, these dudes can't, they, they can't take the left-hand shot, even though that was a right-hand shot, you know? So it's uh. It, it's pretty awesome to see what Jamal Hill has been able to do. Truly man. And I think the sky's the limit for him, right? When I was looking at this in terms of, you know, sometimes we cap fights in terms of how we view guys in the division, you know, the rankings aren't everything. The panelists on the rankings, you know, a lot of them couldn't pick all the fighters out of a lineup. I don't think uh, if they saw them all put together. So I, I, I really believe that we have to use our own discerning eye and try and evaluate the talent that we see in front of us. And Jamal Hill has always struck me as somebody with a lot better process uh, and a lot more upside than Johnny Walker. What Johnny Walker has is a lot of physical tools, a lot of attributes uh, that are, that are uh, things you'd want to have in a prize fighter. However, you got to have certain things locked down. And uh, we saw it rear its head in a few fights tonight, but durability is critical. And uh, you know, this is the hurt business. You got to be able to take one and give one, uh, tied to Avasa and Derek Lewis, another recent example uh, of that lesson. So durability is a critical element of capping these fights. And uh, it, it reared its head here in a big way because Jamal Hill took a couple of leg kicks, you know, uh, a couple of the shots that were supposed to cause him problems in this fight. But he kept moving forward and kept acting like it was no big deal. But Johnny Walker took one big clean punch on the head and, and that was the end of the fight. I mean, and it's the accuracy of these head strikes by Jamal Hill. He's not just closing his eyes and, you know, hoping to la land, that, uh, land that lucky punch. I mean, in that Jimmy Crew fight, it literally, literally puts him down on, like, the first exchange. So it's, yeah, um, I, I know that, like, I'm lighting up and, I'm, you know, just because of how high I am on Jamal Hill. But it's like, he's got the volume. He's got the power. He's got the size. He's got the accuracy uh, in his... UFC debut when he got taken down, he got back up every single time. It's like, what don't you like about this kid? And then there's the misconception about the Paul Craig fight that, oh, he got taken down and submitted right away. No, Paul Craig pulled guard. Jamal Hill, you know, look, the guy's a confident guy. Confidence goes a long way in this game. He thought, hey, I'm on top of you. I can beat you at your own game. Maybe, you know, and that's probably the wrong idea against a guy like Paul Craig, but I don't think there's too many guys in the division like Paul Craig. Plus, I wouldn't sleep on the ground game of Jamal Hill, just like I wouldn't sleep on the ground game of Anka leave you know Paul, Paul Craig is that dude if you try to play in his guard and there's not going to be too many 205ers that you got to worry about playing in their guard so I really do think that you know if you're going to beat Jamal Hill like the way to do it is is to actually knock him out and that's a task in itself man I mean that's a task in itself because like you think about this you look at who the guys at the top of the game are right now now Glover Teixeira he's the champion now for him 
would be to take him down and, and submit him, you know? So he would actually be the guy where you got to worry about that with, you know, because Paul Craig, even though, you know, he has landed a couple double legs in his time, don't sleep on his, on his offensive wrestling, but he's mostly known for being that guy. Like you don't give a fuck uh, if he pulls guard or if you're standing over him, he'll tell you to come into his guard, just like an old school Noguera. It's funny. I was watching uh, Noguera versus Couture the other night, dude. That is a classic. I mean, you want to talk about heart. You want to talk about epic fights. If you guys got nothing to do tonight after this show, check out uh, Couture versus Noguera. Such an unbelievable fight. But what he's got, what Jamal would have to worry about now that we're looking at these guys, you know, the champion Glover Teixeira, that's the fight where he's got to worry about the double legs, the single legs, and then on the mat, possibly getting choked out. But you look at these other guys. Yuri Prohaska, like, I, am I worried about takedowns against Yuri Prohaska? And not, not, I'm not saying that this guy ain't training his wrestling. Everybody in the division is training the wrestling, but we're talking about the strength at the highest level. And Yuri Prohaska is a very creative, unorthodox striker. So Jamal Hill loves to strike. That would give Jamal Hill the fight he wants. We'll find out who the better guy is. What I'm trying to say is the way to beat Jamal Hill, besides the champion, is, is to knock him out with the rest of the division. You look at a guy like Alexander Rockich. And listen, guys, I understand that Rockich right now, a lot of the fans are pissed at him because the Tiago Santos fight was boring. But the more I'm starting to think about it is ever since Tiago Santos had that injury, like it's actually not Rockage fault the fight was boring, man. Like, because like you think about it, Tiago Santos had that boring ass fight with Johnny Walker, too, and Alexander Rockage. So I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on Rockage, man. He's a physical specimen too, but I mean, would he turn into like D1 Rockage against Hill? Like, I think that that's a fight where you know, no, Glover Teixeira, the fundamental difference is what is isn't he like a third degree black belt or or, or something among those lines? Look, like someone correct me if I'm wrong, not trying to disrespect any lineage. All I'm trying to say by what I said is that Glover Teixeira is a very high level black belt, whereas Rockich, you know, he's a he's a physical guy. And, you know, being the athlete that Rockich is, he'd be able to land some takedowns in there, but he certainly doesn't have the jujitsu technique of a Glover Teixeira. That, that's what I was trying to say there. Oh, my boy said he got the Rockage NFT. I got a couple of those myself. But so Rockage would probably try to get those double legs on Hill. And that's where Hill could show that get up game that I was talking about. And then on the feet, that's where Hill likes to fight. So then we got to look at uh, a Tiago Santos. That's going to be another stand up fight, too. You look at a Magomed and, and Khalif. That's a stand up fight, too. You look at Volkan Uzdemir. Guess what? That's a stand up fight, too. So then the, the fight that's actually the most interesting to me. Now, listen to this is Jamal Hill versus Anthony Smith. And here's why. Because Anthony Smith, he's one of these guys that's known for taking that ass whooping up front. You know, for a fact, Jamal Hill can put out that that uh, can put up the output. Maybe Jamal gets that early knockout, maybe not. But if he doesn't, I'd be curious to see, you know, what happens in those later rounds. What happens if after Jamal lands 100 significant strikes, if maybe uh, uh, Anthony Smith can muster up the energy to gra grab a takedown, take his back or something like that. Like Anthony's got those little vet tricks. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I would definitely favor Hill in that fight. Don't, don't get, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying Smith's the guy to beat him. I'm just saying like Hill would, uh, Smith would present like a more interesting challenge. Whereas most of these other guys in the top 10 are going to give Jamal Hill the exact fight that he wants. So Liam, I know I just said a lot, so it's your turn, buddy. Hey, uh, I, I kind of tend to agree with you. You know, I think Jamal Hill, uh, he's going to fare well against a lot of these matchups. Like you mentioned, Glover Teixeira has the top, the, excuse me, the best top game in the uh, light heavyweight division, you know, and that that's not really up for debate, I don't think. And um, submission game. 
that that's what I mean. Like when he's on top of you, he could pass the guard. He could beat you up. Uh, he could crook your neck. You know, he actually like ripped apart Jan Blahovich's neck just with that can opener from the close guard, like a old school savage. Uh, so I really think that Glover Teixeira's top game is underrated and his wrestling game is fire. He's actually got good pocket boxing. He's just a good fighter that's honed his craft over the years. Uh, so he would be a tough matchup, I think, for Hill. Um, and just in terms of his bevy of experience at the championship level and otherwise, Glover Teixeira is like a freaking, uh, you know, he, he would probably be in a lot of trouble on the feet in that fight, but uh, it would be a fun matchup. I do think that a lot of other guys are going to turn into wrestlers against Jamal Hill uh, because of what they've seen so far. The guy's got tremendous power. He's got tremendous volume. He's got good accuracy. That's a recipe for disaster at light heavyweight uh, if you're going to stand across from him. So I think a lot of guys are going to turn into wrestlers now against Jamal Hill. Um, you know, Jimmy Crute, poor bastard, never even got the chance. Um, and We love Jimmy Crute. Absolutely. I, I say that with love and respect. I, you know, I, I mean that. He literally just never got the chance. Um, and I think that otherwise, you know, I don't know how many people present a real tough stylistic threat, uh, from a wrestling perspective, uh, Jamal Hill's got a bright future in the division. Oh yeah. I mean, you and I were on a show, I believe in January, one of my bold predictions was this man will end in the top five, uh, this time next year. And this time next year was like, uh, early January. So we got to match him up with someone. I mean, listen, let's talk about who's ahead of him. So Johnny Walker was number 10. And you know you know my philosophy, Liam. I don't got to tell you 100 times. You beat the number 10 guy, you are the number 10 guy. So the guys ahead of him, we got Nikita Krilov at number nine. However, Nikita Krilov is currently booked with Paul Craig. So that's out the question. We got Volkan Uzdemir, who I believe does not have a fight. So that is one option. We got Dominic Reyes, who I also believe does not have a fight. That is another option. Magomed Ankaliev is booked with Tiago Santos. Dom, Dom, don't take the fight. Dom, don't take the fight. Don't <laughs> yeah. take the fight, Dom. I mean, the issue is Dom is holding uh, the number seven spot on planet Earth hostage. And, you know, you ever seen the Lion King uh, back in the day? Yeah, I have, man. I just feel bad so, for that dude. That would be a, that'd be a bad one three times friend. in a row. You know, so that's ba that's basically all it is. And Magomed Ankaliev is taking on Tiago Santos, so that's out the question. Um, now, is Rakic fighting Blahovich or is he fighting Anthony Smith? Or neither? I am, I am not sure. Uh, I believe they're trying to rebook the uh, Blahovich and Rakic fight, as okay. far as I know. But uh, the line I got will never come back. <laughs> so. So we do have the Anthony Smith option, and then obviously Yuri is fighting Glover, so that's out the question. So my opinion, you know, I know Anthony Smith will fight anyone anytime. I think that since he's, like, number four in the world, he might pull the, you know, only top five guy only card. Like, I'm not, like, Anthony, that's no disrespect. I know you'll fight anyone anytime, and he plays Lionheart. Like, we know what kind of badass you are. Um it just wouldn't surprise me if he feels like, you know, he's got a lot to lose fighting such a dangerous guy like Hill that's ranked below him. So, like, if that's the case, like, I, I, I get it. So that really leaves two guys that have actually fought each other before who are Volkan Uzdemir and Dominic Reyes. Now, Dominic Reyes beat Volkan Uzdemir via split decision. And at the time, it was deemed very controversial. A lot of people thought 
that uh, Volkan Uzdemir won that fight. And interestingly enough, then Dominic Reyes loses a, a, another controversial fight to the undefeated great Johnny Bones Jones. And I was actually one of the only people that thought that Jones won the fight. Now, I'm not saying he won by a wide margin. I just thought that he dug deep in the later rounds. And I also think that when you have such a dominant champ for so long, who's never lost a fight, period. I mean, the guy's 28 and 0 as a pro. Um, when people have moments against them, they kind of overblow it a little bit. Like, do you remember like that DJ versus Tim Elliott fight when like Tim Elliott had a submission attempt in round one and people were trying to act like Tim Elliott almost beat DJ? Like, do you remember? Like, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, people overreact to this shit to a point. Like, Tiago Santos lost four to one to John Jones and was hobbling around on one leg and people tried to act like Tiago got robbed. You know what I'm saying, man? So like, <laughs> dude, I actually thought that Tiago Santos had a better ch- like case for winning than Dominic Reyes. I, I on rewatch as well. That, that's, um, look, that's not a big deal, but did you think Tiago like between man to man, Daniel to Liam, did you think Tiago Santos beat, beat John Jones? I, I, I mean, on a moral level, no, Okay, thank on a you. on a 10-9 must system level, I think you can actually make the argument. Like it was just a really low activity fight. It was kind of weird. John Jones has this like ego trip where every time he fights somebody, he wants to beat them at what they're good at. And so exactly. afterwards, he's like, I did Muay Thai with a, a Muay Thai black belt. I'm like, dude, you did Muay Thai with a guy on one leg and you did nothing. I was like, why would you not try and like kick his leg out or push the pace? It was just a weird fight. But uh it, it's kind of it reminds me of like the Izzy Yoel fight. Not like either guy can be mad after the fact that they didn't get the win because not a ton happens. But it, I did kind of think it's like, yeah, no, that could have went the other way, and I couldn't really push back on it. Yeah, but again, and not to like discredit your points at all, but I, I think that a lot of it has to do is when you're so used to these long reigning champions just running through everybody. Like remember when. Valentina like head kick KO Jessica I and is just looking and then the Priscilla Cacho era fight and all these things and then she has this five round fight with Jennifer Maya and Jennifer Maya wins one round and all she does in that round is lays on top of her does zero damage and people overblow it like Valentina is overrated oh my god like, it's like guys like just because someone a great opportunity on Caitlin Chukagian absolutely right. Exactly. Just because someone had like a tiny bit of success and you're so used to the long reigning champion being untouched. Like, remember, like when Khabib fought Michael Johnson and like Michael Johnson landed a punch and people acted like Khabib had been exposed. Like, do you remember when Khabib felt so unthreatened by Ally Kinta that he literally put on a jab clinic the first three rounds and people try to act like Ally Kinta did good in that fight and like the scores were like 50 43. So I'm just saying people overblow it. If a champ plays it safe, if a, if a champ tries to fight you at your own game, which is what you were talking about. And to your credit, it wasn't just that Tiago Santos fight when he went out there and tried to kickbox him. John Jones goes out there in DC with DC, and I'll have to pull up the stats, and, he's, and he goes out there and takes him down multiple times, you know, the first time, and the second time knocks him out, you know. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. Like, that's the kind of guy John Jones is. But back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, what I love about these up-and-coming 205ers is that finally we got the guys with the size and the athletic traits to compete with John Jones. Like, I love my Shoguns. I love my Rampage Jacksons, my Leota Machidas, my Vitor Belfort. Like, even like Gustafsson. And who he had the size, just not the athleticism. And, you know, he, he also wasn't, you know, he didn't have that, that championship um, 
God, it's for a non-fighter to say someone doesn't have the heart. Like I, I get, yeah, I'm saying at the UFC level, guys, I'm not saying I would fucking beat this guy or some shit like that at the USC level. I felt like when times got tough that Alexander Gustafsson didn't have the push of a guy like a John Jones who like had his toe hanging off in the middle of a fight. A guy like a John Jones who got his arm fucked up by that Vitor Belfort who was a Carlson Gracie black belt arm bar. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like now these guys coming up, like I told you, the Yuri Prohaska, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism. Dominic Reyes, I know Dominic Reyes now might be considered damaged goods, but but he gave Jones a really good fight, and it was also due to that size and that athleticism that I'm talking about. Um, you got the guys such as Magomed and Khalif, and of course, tonight's main event winner, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. So, let, let, let's match him up. I'm saying... Let's go ahead and get Dominic Reyes at that number seven spot. Like, because think about this. You're number seven in the world. People are saying, let's give Dominic Reyes an easy fight. Like, guys, when you're number seven in the world and you get the paychecks that a top 15 guy gets, like people say, give Weidman an easy fight. Guys, Weidman gets like fucking 250K to show or something. Like, you're not going to give Chris Weidman some fucking layup. You understand what I'm saying? You got to give these guys tough fights if they're getting that kind of money. So for someone like... uh you know, Dominic Reyes, who's holding up the number seven spot on planet Earth. What are we going to give him? Devin Clark? Like, guys, stop. So we're going to get we're going to go with number 10, Jamal Hill versus number seven, Dominic Reyes. That's my pick. And, you know, we move up to number seven. We beat him. And then hopefully by that time we end the year uh, in, in the top five. So I want to see uh, Jamal Hill take uh, Dominic Reyes's spot in the rankings. Fair I think that's a good uh, selection. I think that the Anthony Smith call that you had before is an excellent selection as well. You know, Anthony Smith has uh, been saying, what do I have to do? What do I have to prove Um, this? I mean, I think that would be a win that gets him a lot of respect and credibility uh, with the audience. I think that Jamal Hill is hot product right now. Uh, Got you. Uh, I think that's a great um, matchup. You know, I think that the winner, of the Ankalia fight, um, you know, that's coming up with Tiago Santos. Uh, that That's also a great matchup. Um, obviously, that'd be a dangerous one, but I think that would be a clear number one contender type fight uh, as well. You know, Ankalia has that respect. Uh, Tiago Santos would be on a two-fight win streak if he wins that fight somehow. Uh, I don't feel very confident that he will do so. But uh, uh, also, just to your point before, you know, I actually have a matchup I think is perfect for Chris Weidman if you want to hear it. How about a double retirement fight, Chris Weidman versus Derek Brunson? I think that's a pretty good one, dude, because Derek Brunson, he's earned a shot at a UFC champion. He, you know, went on that nice win streak. Now he wants to have one last fight to close out his career. Chris Weidman just had the ugly ass injury. We don't need to see him get hurt again one more time in the octagon. So we have him go out there. It's an honest scrap between two old guys who both know how to wrestle, who can both get down in jujitsu, who will both gas at seven and a half minutes and put on a heck of a damn show. They can both sling overhands. I think it's a great fight. So, sorry, uh, who versus Weidman? Derek Brunson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. That'd be a, a, a lot of fun. Um, someone said something. I want to respond to it. OK, so Joe said Arlovsky gets like 500 to KFI and is fighting scrubs. Yeah, but there's a fundamental difference here. Firstly, Arlovsky's had how many fights has he had with the company? Like 30 to 40. He was also a heavyweight champion, like maybe like 10, not not 10 years ago, like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I know Weidman was champ, too, but there's, there's a difference. 
don't you like hear the quotes of Weidman talking about like I'm the guy that's gonna go out there and beat Izzy. Like I could give Izzy like a hard like this dude's getting knocked out every fight talking about fighting Izzy. So that that makes me think that when he talks with the matchmakers and his management and his management, he wants those tough fights. Like he doesn't like and he's too tough for his own good, man. Like Chris Weidman doesn't want that. Whereas Arlovsky went on like an even bigger skid than Weidman. He's been on a couple separate four fight skids. And I think that now he's at the point where, like, man, like, I know I'm 43 years old. I don't have any intentions of being champ again. I already accomplished that. So now I just want to come out here and, like, let's test the up-and-coming prospects. And some are going to pass the test and some aren't. You know, the Tom Aspinalls, the Jerzinho Rosen strikes, even Francis Ngannou at the time was a prospect who passed the test. So Arlovsky likes his role of being a prospect tester. And the reason he's getting paid what he gets paid is because, firstly, incrementally speaking when you win fights in the ufc your pay goes up every single time now this guy was already a champion 20 years ago he's a future hall of famer so he's already going to be getting paid mad money no matter what but they realize he's at the point in his career where he can't fight you know these top 15 guys anymore maybe borderline top 15 but not you know not these actual killers like uh, because like i said you saw what happens when you put them in there with the aspinalls and the jerseynos but at the time those guys were the prospects coming up and back to Weidman. Weidman's the guy sitting here saying that he's got the style to be, uh, you know, he sees these guys who are fresh like Jan Blahovich while he was the champ or like Izzy, who's currently a champ. Um, you know, he, he sees stuff like that. He sees that fight go down. He sees a guy like Robert Whitaker who like looked fucking amazing. He sees them get takedowns on Izzy and automatically he thinks he's going to do it. And just because he might land a takedown or two, like what, what the fuck do you think is going to happen in a stand-up exchange between Izzy and Weidman? It's gonna, first exchange, he's going to knock him out. And then Weidman's going to say, oh, I could have won that fight. And Weidman's talking about fighting John Jones. Like, So basically what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'm sure the people around Weidman are telling him to take easier fights, but that's just not who Chris Weidman is. And as a man, that's a super respectable quality. You know, the guy's got balls. You got to, you know, uh, just like David Onama taking that Mason Jones fight on four on, on four days notice. But um, take out the as a man and respect factor and just take it as this being a business and making smart decisions for your career. And unfortunately, you know, Weidman's not going to accept those fights. So I, I think that's that's the reason, Joe. Dude, I, I do think, though, that Derek Brunson represents like an honest fight. You know, I don't think that's a pushover. I think that that is like a top contender. That's what Chris wants. And then, you know, Derek gets the opportunity to fight a UFC champion who's a little bit vulnerable. And he blew that opportunity once against Anderson. But I really think that that would be the kind of fight where both guys have a good, honest chance. That for me is like a fun way to match up two legends without disrespecting them on the way out, you know? And, Cause we can put them in there with freaking uh, as somebody responded to my tweet and said, Drickus Duplicy. I'm like, yeah, we could do that. We know what's going to happen. Like what, what's the fun in that? You know, for me, it, it at least gives both guys that chance to win and uh, you know, a, a, a good way to, to send off. Yeah, no, I like that fight. And actually I wanted to see it a few years back. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. They're both, you know, one or two fights away from retirement. They're two guys that were always, you know, one was a former champ, but still a perennial top 15 guy versus an always perennial top 15 guy. And both, uh, it is, is Brunson former D one. Uh, he was actually a D two national champion. D2. Yeah. D two. Okay. Yeah. So former D one, all American versus former D two, um, you know, both knocked people out, both got uh, ridiculous wrestling. 
same points in their career and they just happened to never fight and they were around in the same era so yeah i'm i'm absolutely down with a a fight like that so i don't know how we got to the chris weidman talk after talking about jamal hill um now before we move on to docus and Pickett, like with with johnny walker so like with with jim crute the way i wanted to get jim crute back on track after his jamal hill ko was i wanted a ryan span i wanted a devin clark but with walker the difference here is that you know he was ranked number 10 in the world um so like are are, are we going that same route i'm going with crude are we going with you know he already knocked that ryan span so we can't do that and i want the devin clark fight for jimmy crude so I'm not sure. Like, like first, like everybody, do me a favor, smash that like button, and I know it's late right now. Go on Twitter, retweet our tweets, let people know you're in here, and, and hit that subscribe button. We truly appreciate it. And if you got a matchup for Johnny Walker to rebound from, like, let us know. Like, so off the top of your head, let me know if you have anything, and if not, I'm gonna pull up the roster and we'll come up with a matchup for uh, Johnny Walker. Yeah, man, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and. You know, I think Kutalaba's been on a little bit of a streak. Um, he I he just got an opponent, right? Oh, yeah, he probably did. Um, you mentioned Vulcan uh, before. Isn't he coming off a loss and un, uh, unmatched? Um, you know, that doesn't really give somebody an opportunity uh, in terms of, like, busting into the rankings. So maybe we should be looking for somebody with a win streak outside the rankings. But uh, What about uh, Marcin Prachnia? He's coming off uh, two straight victories, and um, he's got kind of like the defensive liabilities that might let Johnny Walker get that spectacular knockout. But if Prachnio wins, that'll be three wins in a row, a complete turnaround of his career, the biggest win of his career. But it's it's a fight that Johnny Walker could get that highlight spectacular knockout, get his confidence back. Um, That's just the first one that comes to mind. Any, Any interest in that at all? Yeah, I think that's a great matchup. Uh, I didn't have like the roster in front of me, just the ranking. So I think in terms of unranked guys, Prakna is a great uh, example of somebody that, you know, has kind of scratched and clawed his way to a couple of UFC wins. And, you know, he deserves that step up in competition. I think that's a fair uh, matchup. And what I also think is that that gives Johnny Walker, like you mentioned, a bounce back opportunity. Johnny Walker's a fun guy. You know, he's still going to come out there and entertain. His athletic gifts are still going to put him you know, head and shoulders above some of these guys in the division, but um, he's just got a liable chin. So, you know, maybe he turns into a wrestler. Maybe he turns into a a, a guy who does a little bit more cage pushing uh, to try and mitigate some of that risk. But otherwise it's going to be, uh, you know, fun barnyard brawls, I think uh, for Johnny Walker, the rest of the way. Someone said crew versus Walker. And actually like as a fight, I fucking love that fight. It's just one of them. Go ahead. Maxime Grishin. Oh, that's Maxine, my new answer Ma- maxine's too too clinical uh for him i think um, uh, good- well i mean it depends on what you're trying to do if you're trying to you know jump start the maxine into the rankings uh well, he's like 38 know, right uh yeah he is he is so what, maybe, what about maybe it's what about this? i what do think we- he's a fun guy though he he can kind of crack oh yeah no i for sure but what about like i want something like wild and fun like what about like william knight versus johnny walker like would that like i know one of the more absurd matchups of all time (laughs) like i know william knight's so far away from him in the rankings but like just like 
optics wise and fun wise like would that not be something that would be the kind of fight that dana white loves because it's interesting and you have like the two weirdest built guys in the division like the, the massive like muscle bound you know freak looking guy and then William Knight, which normally when I say that the first descriptor, you think I'm talking about William Knight, but no, William Knight's like the short squat version of a Johnny Walker, just like uh, as fit as a person can get. Like when I do my uh, weigh-in breakdowns, I like write stuff down for myself. And when I can't think of anything to say, except this person looks like as good as they possibly can physically, I just say the picture of fitness. And both of those guys would be getting that moniker uh, on weigh-in day. The picture of fitness, Johnny Walker and freaking uh, William Knight. That'd be fun. Yeah. So moving on in the co-main event, um, I mean, I said my pick was Kyle Dawkins to win my first-round submission, but I thought the big worry was that it becomes a three-round clinch fest. And instead, it was like a four-minute clinch fest, and then he ended up submitting him anyway. So, I mean, I don't really take much from this outcome. because it's kind of what I expected to happen. Uh, so, yeah, props to Dacus. Um, with Pickett, I guess people were saying, you know, why why tap with one second left? Like, I mean, I think when the Dars is that tight that maybe you're not aware of how much time is left. and Or maybe he could have held his breath. I don't know. Um, I wasn't in there, so I'm not really sure what to think about that. But I'm not surprised by the outcome. I think it kind of went as expected. To, uh, I, went, I think it went, as, as a, it went according to plan. Yeah, man, uh, you got to control your breath in order to control your mind. That's a really critical element uh, that I, I've taken from jujitsu. And um, the Darce Choke's a good way to prevent somebody from controlling their breath. And, uh, you know, I think that's what happened to Jamie Pickett. You know, he was in a lot of bad situations in this fight. Uh, I did think he got hurt on the feet a little bit as well in transitions. I thought that Dacus was finding good shots. And, you know, one of my reads on tape here was that Pickett and Dawkins, you know, both of these guys can't help but wrestle. Like whether they're having striking success or not, both guys are just much more comfortable wrestling and doing jujitsu. So that's what they start doing. And especially when Jamie Pickett gets hit with punches, he reacts poorly each and every time. Uh, and he starts looking for takedown attempts. And against Dawkins, that's actually like exactly where Dawkins wants you to be is shooting takedowns because he is a good uh, sprawl and counter with front headlock series kind of grappler. Uh, and I like that style of grappling. I try and do it myself. So uh, I could see the writing on the wall very early in this fight for Jamie Pickett uh, because Dawkins was continuing to pass guard and look for Pickett to sit up into the Darce choke. And eventually he did. Uh, and he got him pretty secured in there. And I expected this outcome. I had two and a half units uh, staked on, on Dawkins to win inside the distance tonight. At plus 200 uh me and just win baby uh put out our like best money line play and our best prop of the night and it was gloria de paula on the money line and it was uh Dawkins to win inside the distance at plus 250 and his breakdown his entire breakdown for the prop was i don't like jamie pickett yeah uh, good, good hit there you go <laughs> um yeah oh yeah if we're going to talk about bets uh so I'll go like like every time we talk we talk about a specific fight I'll talk about if I had a bet for that fight but as far as the Jamal Hill fight I had Jamal Hill parlayed with Andre Korshkov and they both won by easy first round knockout 
first parlay at 22. So off to a good start with that. But anyways, uh, Tr- uh, Tristan says he wants to see Kennedy versus Johnny Walker. Kennedy and Zechuku, I like that matchup. That's a lot of fun. So I'd be down with that. But back to the Dars choke uh, talk. So one of the you know main lines of defense against the Dars choke is getting your forehead to the mat. And actually, if you watch a fight between matt brown and robbie lawler you know two legends of the game there was a sequence in that fight when matt brown got um a locked in darce choke on robbie lawler and the way that robbie lawler defended that fight was you know expertly with that forehead to the mat and the reason that jamie pickett wasn't able to do that defense is because kyle dacus was actually hooking the leg and that prevented him from turning down and you know like once you're aware of the defense and you counter it there's really no way out and a choke like that like it doesn't just feel like you're going like you're going to go to sleep it feels like your neck's about to be ripped off so um you know props to docus and you know i think that he's going to move on to like let's go ahead and rebook the julian marcus fight let's go ahead and rebook what was what was the other fight the roman delete fight you know let's just you know keep him keep him at that level for a little bit and We'll move on, you know. Well, you cool with that? I love that Delidze fight uh, that you mentioned. That would be good fun. Um, or Delidze versus Dricus Duplessis. Those are the those are the oh, matchups man. I want to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love my boy Duplessis, man. He's uh, me like, too. Money like, machine. And the dude's a Greek god. I mean, it might not look the prettiest, but when he lands, like, dude's uh dudes wonder what was on their grocery list you know what i'm saying so but anyways feature bow we had parker porter versus alan Bado, and look i got to give Bado credit because all three ufc fights he's meant he's made incremental differences i mean incremental uh improvements first fight he goes out there and just gets smashed right away against aspinall who turned out to be legit next fight goes out there has a great fr- uh start early on against R- R- rodrigo nascimento but kind of gave into the fatigue a little bit. This fight, you know, even won around uh, on all three judges' scorecards, um, fatigue, but fought through it. And I'd say, you know, he's getting better every time. So even though he is kind of on the lower level of the heavyweights, at least we can say without a shadow of doubt that he's made some improvements. And Parker Porter, I mean, just like I described him, he's, he's a solid journeyman. And when it was one to one headed in that, third round he got the takedown and that's what solid journeyman that's what vets do so props to porter on a hard-fought decision win yeah i lost my ass on this fight just full disclosure um i made a lot of really good bets uh tonight and i gave a lot of money back on two bad bets that i i went a little bit too heavy on and uh one of them was this fight not to go the distance uh i dropped a hammer on this uh at minus 225 i thought it was a good line And, um, you know, I kind of thought, like you mentioned, based on all the tape I had seen, and this extends back beyond um, just his UFC tape, to be clear. But uh, but Doe really has shown a willingness to quit in some fights. He's shown a propensity to gas in his fights. um, And he tends to do a lot of big actions that take a lot of cardio. So I figured that Parker Porter, who tends to put a pressure-heavy game plan on people and pursue takedowns, uh, was going to have a lot of success here. And I thought that the levels on the ground would be, you know, night and day. And I did think that that was the case, but Parker Porter's wrestling really failed to deliver uh, a lot of opportunities there. When he did have the opportunities, it was a bit too late. And, um, you know, Bedo showed significant improvements here, like you mentioned. And uh, I didn't account for that in my capping. I was surprised by that. 
Uh, I did have a hedge play on Bado KO1. I thought that was a large majority of his win equity. Uh, he proved that wasn't the case, made it a fairly competitive decision down the stretch. So, uh, you know, got to reconsider a little bit Alain Bado. Uh, I did mention coming in that he was a guy with some athletic potential, but hadn't really fought anybody of substance and was coming into these fights, I thought a little bit overweight, but his cardio fared a lot better in this fight. So I'm going to have to adjust my capping on him moving forward. But I also think that um, Parker Porter, you know, he looked very good, but he was fighting a low level of competition in his uh, early UFC bouts. And I'm also going to have to, you know, downgrade where he is a little bit in my head. I knew he was a solid journeyman. I thought he had a little bit of, uh, you know, that sneaky upside to maybe creep into the top 15 or something. But I think that, uh, you know, Barring some surge in performance, I, I I heard talk after the fight that he may have had an injury and that would comport with what I saw uh, because it just didn't look like his wrestling was nearly as effective as it normally is. And he also looked a little more tired than he normally gets. But Bado is a big, a big fellow and he was hitting him with some hard shots and that'll make you tired too. So uh, bad read on my part. Um, I had some confidence in Porter. I had um, some some parlays with him inside the distance as well. And uh, those are bets I regret. Porter by sub is not a bet I regret, but I do regret that I went so hard on it uh, off track. You know, I, I had a couple extra units on it at plus 800, like big numbers, beat the closing line by a lot, but uh, still wasn't able to make it happen. So back to the drawing board. So uh, Pepe says, excuse me, he says Porter versus De, De Lima next. Um, yeah, I mean, if, what do you hate, Parker Porter or something? <laughs> um, I mean, I, what about like Parker Porter versus like Chris Barnett? Like, I think that would be a perfect matchup. That's a perfect matchup. Well done again, sir. I, I literally have nothing. There's no better matchup you could come up with in the UFC. They're both complete meme guys. Uh, that would be very fun. And if, if, Chris Barnett knocks out Parker Porter with a spinning head kick. I'm going to be, you know, so disappointed, but uh, it also is in the cards. So that's a, that's a great fight. And if either guy is still on roster, we can get Alan Badeau back on track with my boy, uh, Harry Hunsucker. Hey, would you bet on uh, Alan Badeau in that fight? Against Harry Hunsucker? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, Alan Badeau looked actually competent tonight. Um, and he didn't have four minutes of cardio. Like against Alan Nascimento, he had four minutes of cardio. So I, I don't know. I don't know. That was an impressive turnaround, I thought, tonight. Um, where he was like taunting him a little bit in the third round, trying to style on him and then got taken down. That was like a, a you know, a little bit of a blown uh, blown opportunity. He could have won that fight. Hey, let us know in the chat uh, if y'all uh... – would would bet on um, Alan Badeau against uh, Harry Hunsucker. I'm curious, but next in the lightweight division, we had Jim Miller taking on Nicholas Moda. I was wrong about this fight, man. I thought that Nicholas Moda would come out here, weather that early storm, and go out there and finish Jim Miller. And actually, Jim Miller fought a very smart game plan. The reason why is this. So, firstly, one of the issues he's had is he goes so hard for that grappling attack early, and naturally, dude, grappling is going to gas you out. That's just, that's just how it goes, especially when you grapple with the style that he does, man. Um, and, and he didn't really go to that. You know, he might have tried a, t a takedown attempt early and saw it wasn't there, but he found this opening for these inside leg kicks. And once you saw that, he kept going to the well with it over and over. And I think Mata's plan was to kind of take it easy the first round, kind of get his feet wet inside the octagon, kind of feel things out. 
plus mix that in with his with Jim Miller's history of fading later fights. It's just that by the time the second round had uh, had you know actually come around, um, Jim Miller wasn't as fatigued as as expected due to the fact that you know he wasn't expending too much energy. You know he was just going out there methodically chopping him down with the leg kicks. So by that point, actually, Mata was compromised. And I think Miller went out there, landed a beautiful shot, and, and put him down. And props to the legend. I mean, he keeps he keeps impressing. It's a, you know, it's great to see. And I and I do think Mata will be back and we might actually get him under Price's next fight because like I said, Mata, this ain't this ain't that ghost pest this ain't that ghost pepper guy like this. I think Mata is actually going to win some UFC fights, but tonight belonged to Miller, and uh, I was wrong on this fight. Fair. Uh, and, dude, I think that, you know, Sharp Money really, like, pushed this this line out in favor of Mota. I, I do think that he has opportunities to win UFC fights going forward, but it is a UFC debut, you know, and he has a lot of, like, UFC-adjacent experience. I think we talked about the fact uh, that he fought in the Ultimate Fighter, but you're stepping out there against – Jim Miller, the guy who's freaking like, you know, they, they might as well just have him like as part of the UFC logo at this point. The guy's been around so long and so many fights. Uh, I heard somebody suggest earlier, um, Cowboy and Jim Miller for the most UFC wins ever. Uh, that's a great fight as well. And another way, I think, to treat the legends uh, with that due respect, uh, potentially on the way out, especially in the case of Cowboy. But um, I, I think that Jim Miller continues to impress man like i thought that he was able to take some shots here tonight you know it wasn't like moda didn't land anything he was able to land some nice counters uh especially hooking counters which is his bread and butter uh on that low kick from jim miller but jim miller just an expert game plan you know if you're gonna stand in the pocket with him he's gonna punish you for doing so with those hard low kicks inside and outside uh and you know, even if you start landing the return shots, he's knocking you out of your stance. He's knocking you completely off balance. And uh, somebody like Dustin Poirier, who can shift with his shots uh, and hits with, you know, bricks in his hands, uh, can do something about it. Uh, but even he dealt with a lot of adversity there. Jim Miller, uh, you know, he's also got that power in his hands, man. Right hook um, has a lot of heat behind it every time. And I, I actually was calling this fight live on Pub Sports Radio, and I said, that right hook uh, is landing consistently, and, and I think it might find the chin. And uh, brutal, brutal. Jim Miller, uh, that's two in a row now. I, I think people have an impression of his power uh, being limited because of his age and, uh, you know, because he gets so many submissions. Like uh, some ridiculous percentage of his wins is by submission uh, in his last, like, 10 victories. However, he hurts guys in a lot of those wins and then submits them right after because he's a black belt and because he's legit as hell. But I also think that, you know, that power, man, it's sneaky. And uh, guy, guys that want to strike with Jim Miller do so at, at some risk to their health because the guy hits, you know, power's the last thing to go. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's got good timing and he throws that right hook with, with a lot of sting. Man, fantastic execution of his game plan tonight. And uh, actually... After Bobby Green and Islam next week, you know, a couple months down the line, I want to see Jim Miller and Bobby Green finally run it, man. They've been scheduled to, to fight on two separate occasions, one of those occasions being like a decade ago. that And that was actually, I believe, the night when Jim Miller ends up choking out Yancey Medeiros. Like Bobby had to pull out the fight, so Yancey steps in, Jim Miller chokes out Yancey Medeiros. Then they were supposed to fight again, and actually like Bobby collapsed backstage um, after the weigh-in. So... 
hopefully, you know, third time's the charm and and they, they can finally run it because, I mean, a fight between two legends that have fought in the same area, excuse me, fought in the same era, we just have never gotten the chance to see them fight before. So, yeah, let's get this Islam fight out the way and then a couple months down the line, I want to see Bobby Green versus Jim Miller finally once and for all, third time's the charm. Great fight. I love that matchup. Um, again, when I look at two guys who are just vets that deserve our respect, freaking octagon warriors of the highest order, Bobby Green, uh, Jim Miller, what are you going to say? Those guys aren't going to get in, a, in an entertaining fight uh, and put on a show. Of course they are. What a fight. Yep. So walking Buckley, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, I, I, I took the shot on Razak at plus 150. Um Listen, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that cries robbery. I thought, you know, it could have gone either way. I think it kind of comes down to how you score that uh, first round, second round for Buckley, third round for Razak, which third round Razak, hey, you know, we're starting to see some improvements. Like, finally, there was a shot that he wins a fight that goes past the 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 first round. And I think that, you know, it was a step in the right direction as long as he's not, you know, as long as his confidence doesn't take a dip, as long as he uses this as a moment to grow and to build from, because I thought that, you know, he really dug deep in this fight. Um, he like street rules, pride rules. He, he, he won that fight. Um, he broke walking Buckley in that fight. Um, it's just, you know, he's getting better about managing his cardio. It's just, we need to get it even, even better. It's better than where it was before, but we just need to get to that next level. If he can't get that knockout, um, but then again, it comes down to the argument of, you know, do you favor Buckley getting those takedowns and not doing anything with them or Razak landing, you know, the more significant shots? So, you know, it's just another one of those fights. Uh, and I'm excited to see both of them back in there. So, yeah, that's about all I have on that one. Yeah, man, I had no money on the decision. Uh, I had a little bit of money, a uh, tiny sprinkle on the uh, round one Razak KO at plus 550. And, uh, that was a little bit uh, close to that robbery word. I have to rewatch it. Obviously, I was commentating live uh, during the fights. You know, I, I was bantering about. I could have a different opinion after I rewatched the fight, but when I was watching live, you know, I was I was pretty sure that that fight was going to go to Razak, uh, and I was like, "Wow, how ironic!" Everybody says that he can't win a decision, uh, only bet on him in the first round, and uh, we're all going to look foolish when he wins this decision. And, um, man, I, I kind of thought they did him wrong there. Uh, he did the better work. He did the better damage. You know, I've wrestled uh, 10 years of my life, a little bit more. Love wrestling, coach wrestling. Uh, it's my one of my favorite sports. Owe all my life and success to wrestling. Wrestling in a cage fight is only a change of position. So you've got to be able to make effective use of the change of position. Right. Like if I go and try and wrestle somebody in jujitsu and I keep putting my head in the hole and getting submitted, it doesn't matter that I took them down. I got submitted. It wasn't effective in this fight. Every time there was a takedown, he popped back up to his feet. And the damage that was done in this fight was done by Abdul Razak Al-Hassan more often than not. So I just thought that the decision was was incorrect when I was watching it live. Um, and I, I thought he got done wrong. I, you know, when he was like down on his knees after that fight. I, I thought he was asking the Lord, what did, what did I do? What, why, why me? That's crazy. No, no, I think that's like his tradition. Um, it's, uh, like a Muslim thing. They win or lose, he, he gets on his knees and like, yeah, it's, it, 
it, yeah, it's like a tradition thing for him. But but I feel where you're coming from. Like emotion wise, it must have felt the way you're describing to like to break a man right in front of your eyes and then have them raise his hand. I know? mean, couldn't that have been a 10 eight? Like I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not like going to go to bat and say that was a 10 eight. You know, if you think that's a 10 nine, you're an idiot. I, I'll never talk about fights like that. Right. Like it's a subjective viewing experience. I didn't even listen to the volume. Right. So maybe if I hear the sound of the shots, it'll change my opinion. Yeah. But he was on top of him in the mount, dropping hammers while the guy's looking up, like, yo, get this guy off me. Yeah. That's pretty close to a 10 8, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. Yeah. And, and as far as people making a big deal about the Dale Brown guy being in his corner, like, I really don't think, I think it's kind of like, you know, Steven Seagal and Anderson Silva, a thing where, you know, you get three corner men, bring out your two main coaches uh, to call out the instructions and bring this guy out to get you some more followers. So I thought it was a good publicity stunt, especially in a fight like this where we all think, or not all of us, but a lot of us think we're Zach one. Now to the casuals, he can kind of deflect from that. And, you know, we can make the attention on that guy being in his corner. So I, I think it was a smart move on his part. And look, I'm excited to see them both back in there. I just truly hope, like Razak, hey, let's just like build off this. It was a good, it was a really good performance, you know, considering um, our concerns going into the fight, right? So, and it's something to build off of. So, as long as Razak can get back in the gym, keep training hard, and don't be too depressed about this L, I think he'll be back. And I'm excited to see both of them. Now, next up, we had a catchweight between uh, David Onama and Gabriel Benitez. And I mean, it was a fantastic fight. I mean, like just like every Gabriel Benitez fight, um, the dude is a true Mexican warrior. He's going to stand and bang with anyone. And he'll, he usually stands and bangs until one man falls. And tonight he was the one that fell. And, you know, I did have a bet on David Onama and I understood going in and in, going into the fight that it was a situation where Gabriel Benitez was the much more proven guy. Gabriel Benitez was the dog. David Onama, in a sense, it's kind of trying to gauge the potential that he has. Not and not just not quite long term, but in this matchup specifically. And he's got those physical traits, man. And you know, at times early in the fight, you know, get, Gabriel was getting off on some shots, but at in what fight does Gabriel not get off on some shots? And even in the fights Gabriel loses, he gets off on some shots. I mean, that Enrique Barzola fight, Gabriel drops him at the end of round three. That Andre Feely fight, like, Gabriel had it had his moments too. The Sodik Yusuf fight, he dropped Sodik Yusuf. So, like, Gabriel Benitez has moments in all his fights. Um, That's why I love him so much. It's just that when it's, you know, it's one thing to give it, but it's another thing to take it. And, you know, I always talk about how I don't fade Russians or Africans, you know, nine times out of 10. Like I said, there'll be an exception here and there. There's going to be an Oluwala Bang Bose. There's going to be an Antigula, but for the most part, you don't. And another thing is when you've had 10 or less pro fights, you're going to make those big leaps every single time. But you factor that in with you already know the guy has heart because he took that last fight on four days notice um, with Mason Jones up a weight class. So you know he's got heart. But now you also know he's got those physical attributes, those God-given gifts. So imagine those kind of leaps. And basically, like I said in my breakdown, like, look, if you try to, you know, go kick for kick and see who kicks harder and, you know, try to have a pretty technical kickboxing match with Gabriel. Yeah, you're going to lose that all day. But if you just say, fuck it, go Super Saiyan, you know, turn up on that African power and just go after him like you're supposed to. That, that's how you beat him. That's exactly what happened. So I was very I was very happy that my most confident bet of the night uh, hit. And also, um, 
the the line went from minus one twenty five to almost minus two hundred um, in the close. So uh, pay pay attention, guys. Like just remember, this is one this was one of the most contentious spots on MMA Twitter. And just remember, guys, it's always okay to think for yourself. Straight up. And uh, so I basically started this week thinking I was going to fade Gabriel Benitez. Uh, and then when I dug into the matchup, you know, I liked a lot of what I saw um, from Gabriel in terms of the fact that he was landing a lot of hard shots in the fights he was losing. He was hurting people. He was rocking them uh, and he was competing. And, you know, the durability was my concern here. When I, I listed out this fight, I capped it out and I had advantages on the Onaba side. You know, he's the younger guy. He's got better recoverability. Uh, he's got the the height and the reach advantage. But I also was like, you know, this guy's a little bit on the greener side of things. And, you know, we're, we're grading a lot of this on a loss. And I always like to uh, be weary of, of uh, you know, grading people up on a loss, let's say. But he showed clear improvements um, from his regional tape to the Mason Jones fight. And also from the Mason Jones fight to this fight, um, he still has to continue making improvements, I would reckon. Uh, he still fights a little bit close to the fire for my liking, but it's to be understood. He's a young man with uh, a lot of confidence uh, and and good reason to be confident. So uh, this was a good matchup for him in retrospect. He's able to run through Benitez despite some early adversity there uh, and took it, taking some hard shots. You know, I, I didn't know if he got poked in the eye or what happened. I think it might've just been a punch to the eye, but he was having he some overcame problems. It. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, that was what made the difference was the durability. So, uh, cheers to him. I thought that was real. <laughs> I thought that was really impressive. Somebody in the comments just got me with one that made me laugh, but, uh, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a hell of a, it was a hell of a performance. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, just speaking about gauging guys coming off losses, like, like, like I was saying, you know, in terms of like the Billy Q and like Shane Burgos fight and just in general, not all wins and losses are created equally. You know, that fight, like that fight, he showed so much heart, especially considering the circumstances. But another example is like Mike Davis coming off that loss to uh, Sodi Cusa from contenders. Like you could tell Mike Davis was going to have a bright future, like regardless of win lose or draw in that spot so it's just important to take note of stuff like that and then lastly to match up david onama i mean let's just go in there let's let him knock out charles rosa real quick what do you think nothing wrong with that as far as i'm concerned uh i've lost enough money betting charles rosa over the years i'll never do it again so uh yeah that'd be a good matchup for me to get on board with the onama train if uh, if you're looking for one uh <laughs> And if Gabriel is still in the UFC, which, you know, I do hope he is. I'm a big fan of his. Um, I would assume that he, they'd probably make him go up to 155 after uh, what, what happened there. So, um, I mean, who's like a prospect? Like, would we put him in there with like Terrence McKinney, a Ferez Yam? Would we... Um, like, would we do the Mason Jones fight? Like, how, how do we? Because there's a chance they might just say, fuck it, you know, coming off. I think this was actually the last fight on his contract, and it's a KO loss, and he missed weight. So, honestly, we probably shouldn't even match him up. Like, that probably really is it, um, unfortunately. You know, I love the guy. Um, but last fight on contract, KO loss, missed weight. That's three strikes. Um, so, thank, th thank you for all the memories, brother. Likewise, so, yeah. 
I got to give you a lot of credit. Um, You were on Stephanie Egger against Jessica Rose Clark, and it was a beautiful performance. I was on Rose Clark. I was so wrong. My reasoning for being on Rose Clark was simple. Um, You know, there are moments in that last fight on Contender Series where, you know, she was covering, uh, where Egger was covering up against the fence, taking some punches. And I thought, hey, let's stay away from these judo throws and let's try to box her up. And that last fight, um, Jessica Rose Clark goes out there, lands five takedowns. And Apparently, and I thought it was just a situational thing. I thought, hey, Jocelyn Edwards' only path to victory is to stand and bang, so we're going to take her down. I thought it was a case-by-case basis. Turns out, since she landed five takedowns, now she feels confident she's going to do that every fight, goes out there and is trying to, and is initiating the clinch with Edgar. And as soon as she initiated the clinch with Edgar, I, I knew that fight was over right away because, like, like, wasn't, I thought the game plan would have been to, <laughs> keep your distance and pop this girl from range and not even try to get in any clinch situations. It wasn't the case. You get into a clinch situation with Edgar, it's on you because Edgar is world-class in judo, got her hip toss, and an, a beautifully executed armbar. So all due respect to Edgar. And uh, when I talk about Rose Clark having the you know the wrong approach in there, that's not at all to discredit the, the fantastic performance by Stephanie Edgar. Absolutely. And, you know, this is the thing is we're always investing in fighters as commodities. And, you know, we can hope and pray that they're going to use the game plan that makes sense to us crystal clear in our head, but we're relying on other people. So that's the thing that's always tough. And, you know, Parker Porter, right? I was frustrated by parts of his game plan tonight. It happens all the time. And uh, I, I thought that, yeah, I agree with you. You know, Jessica Rose Clark, uh, when I when I broke down this fight, I wasn't as confident in uh, Egger um, early in the week. You know, I had to do a little bit more research and go a little bit more deep before I was confident making the play. And the reason I ended up pulling the trigger was because I went back and saw videos of this girl, uh, like hip throwing um, Gabby Garcia. And I was like, oh my God, like if she gets into the clinch here, uh, she's going to have opportunities to get on top. And what I also felt was that, you know, Jessica Rose Clark, I do think there's been a little bit of a slowdown physically uh, based on some of those knee surgeries and things like that. And sometimes when a fighter is slowing down, they want to get into those grappling exchanges to limit, uh, you know, to limit the striking exchanges that they have to, to manage. And uh, I know that she probably had a striking advantage here. So I was concerned that that was where the fight was going to end up. Egger doesn't really have a great process in striking range. So I thought that she was going to be, you know, stuck a little bit out in the wind. Um, but also I do think that just the size and physicality was, was what pushed me over the edge because, you know, this Stephanie Egger girl is pretty, pretty large. Um, when I saw her at the weigh-ins, she's tall as heck. Uh, and also she looks like she cuts a decent bit of weight. So I think she put on a considerable amount of weight between fight time and weigh-in. And I, I think that paid dividends when she got to the top position. And last but not least, because, uh, you know, actually, I ended up, like, taking, like, a little nap before the fights, and I ended up missing the first four fights. So, Chas Kelly was the first one I saw. Well, I saw a little bit of the Bautista fight, but that's about it. Uh, um, Chas Kelly, man, props to you, Chas Kelly, going out on top, going out on a win, going out on a knockout. Uh, fuck this dude up. Um, 
I mean, I couldn't be happier for Chas Kelly, man. Uh, you know, he, like I said, he was on track at one point to having the most submissions in UFC featherweight history, but was sidelined with injuries, sidelined with inactivity. Um, at one point had the fastest consecutive wins in UFC history with 13 uh, days apart. I think Hamzat Chimaev actually beat that record, but uh chaskelly still holds the fastest submission in ufc featherweight history when he went out there against um maximo blanco and submitted submitted him in 19 seconds with an anaconda choke so you know much respect to chaskelly friend of the show um you know uh, drink drink a beer i was gonna say pour one out for him but now don't pour one out for him drink one for him and um we'll definitely have him on the show soon and you know um I know it's hard to commit to retirement when when you have a performance like that, you know. Um, but like he said, his body's just not holding up anymore. I mean, I think people forget my boy Chaskelly, um, he's gonna turn 37 in May. So he had a fantastic career, and it's great when you see guys go out at the, you know, not coming off like four or five knockout losses in a row. Like one of the best retirements I can recall is when Chris Lytle fought Dan Hardy and Chris Lytle ends up getting a submission of the night and a fight of the night. And, you know, it was just a, and he had a beautiful speech with his kids inside the octagon. That's by far the best retirement in UFC history followed, you know, and it followed an incredible fight. So guys, after this, go to fight pass, watch Chris Lytle versus Dan Hardy and stick around for the post fight speech. I mean, cause you're going to be entertained by the whole fight. But then the speech, uh, you know, you might shed a tear or two. So it, it was a beautiful moment. And you can think of other spots like Mark Munoz ending his career on a win. And so it's good to see Chaz be one of those guys. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, just to reference something earlier in the show, Jamie Pickett said his tongue got caught between his teeth um, in that Darce choke. And that's why he was forced to tap. He did not want to bite off his Ooh. tongue. Remember, um, remember so, when? Remember when Jim Miller's tongue got caught in that Nate Diaz choke like ten years ago? Yes, yes, and uh, so fair play uh, to my man Jamie Pickett. That is a reasonable, wise tap. Uh, good for your long-term career, and uh, you know, back to the drawing board. But he said, "I want to come back with a full camp to address this fight." As we were talking about, though, uh, just wanted to put that out there for our man Jamie Pickett uh, and his credibility, but also. Man, I, I just thought that Chaz Skelly came to party tonight. Um, I, I did say prior to this fight, and always with with the due respect that I'm not a cage fighter, I thought Mark Striegel was a little bit of a fraudulent product. Um, you know, at his record, he, it was kind of the product of being um, uh, a head and shoulders grappler in a, a scene that didn't have many very good grapplers. And he also, you know, he's a big physical force. So if you're imagining like a local regional regional scene, there's not going to be many athletes like Mark Striegel, but on the other side, the guy's not a very good fighter. And uh, Chaz Skelly let him know that the hard way and kind of beat the hell out of him in all positions here. Um, so I thought it was a really good performance from Chaz Skelly, despite the fact that uh, he's probably not built to do this many more times. Uh, what a way to go out. I think it was just tremendous. And I, I did play him inside the distance here. I didn't get to the window with a tracked bet on that uh, because, you know, I had my concerns. It's a retirement fight, and I didn't want to tip that to somebody else and have them be like, dude, really the retirement fight with the guy who's injured? Uh, and I did think he looked like actually injured in this fight too. There's a couple of times he grimaced in the clinch um, when he was having success. I was like, golly, Chaz, hold it together. But um, yeah, he lands with the power, knocks him out, and 
Uh, cash is my inside the distance plus 150. So thank you for the cheddar. Chaz Skelly, the cheddar makes it better. Yes, Chaz Skelly, you are the man. And uh, I mean, I don't think anyone can say anything bad about Chaz Skelly, man. Always carried himself with class, always put on entertaining fights and goes out on a win. So props to you, Chaz Skelly. Well, the bonuses ended up going to Jamal Hill, uh, David Onama, Kyle Dacus, and Stephanie Egger. So congrats to them. And Liam, I appreciate you being here with me, my man. Uh, recapping uh, UFC Vegas 48, Jamal Hill's epic knockout over Johnny Walker, entering the top 10, uh, like we said he would. Uh, just a great card. And, um, man, it's going to be awesome to see what happens. And I told you all I'd be back with after the battle, so now it's just about staying consistent. But we got a lot of fun stuff planned this week, so make sure you all follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow my man Liam at Liam Picks Fights. Everybody smash that like button and share this. Uh, we truly appreciate you all being here with us uh, at 1.45 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you guys very much. Uh, and, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Citra, Spotify, all the places where you're available. Like I said, I'll be back next week. Uh, Liam, any last words, my guy? Uh, absolutely. I would be remiss if I did not mention on the way out my man, Chad and Hellinger. I told you guys last November, and I said it again. Chad and Hellinger told me November 18th, 2021, if you bet on Jesse Strader, it will be a bad bet. Chad and Hellinger delivered tonight, so uh, fought through some adversity, dealt with a uh, a tough fight, and was able to knock that guy out in brutal fashion in round three. Uh, Chad and Hellinger delivered, um, and it was a great fight night, all things considered. So Jamal Hill rises. Uh, I'm excited to get after it again next week. Um, own the wins, own the losses, took it on the chin tonight, but they can't hold me down. I'm still up on the year. I'm still up on the month uh, after a huge 20-unit night uh two weeks ago so man back to work for me yes sir well liam thank you bro I, I appreciate you being here with me buddy anytime yes, my sir. pleasure all right so all, all the fans here um my buddy jake said how good was that jamal uh, ko it was absolutely incredible um if you're just getting here scroll back we talk about that jamal hill ko for about 30 minutes so uh yeah so again guys thank you so much hit that like button hit that hit that subscribe button follow us do everything thank you all so very very much and we'll, we'll be in touch very soon lots of stuff coming out this week and until the next time let's cash these bets